Um, welcome everyone to SAMA. Uh, this week we are absolutely delighted to have Leanne Vinier to talk to us about the power of light. Uh, Leanne is an engineer, inventor, international award-winning artist, Eastern medicine physician, entrepreneur, medical researcher, and former submarine designer. Really? <laughs> this is absolutely incredible. Um, Leanne That's is just part of what I've done. Part That's, of a small, done. That's a small sampling, yeah, but, but that covers enough for now. Wow, and you, you also, well, not quite, because you're known as a visionary pioneer of light therapy. So welcome to Sama, Leanne. It's so wonderful to have you with Thank us. Thank you. I'm um, so happy to be here. So um, please tell us, what is um, light therapy? Light therapy is using specific wavelengths of light um, colored light and invisible radiation from the electromagnetic spectrum, but we'll talk a lot about colored light. Um, and you can use it for eliciting healing effects in the physical body, um, for um, setting circadian rhythm, for shining on your body, shining into the eyes. So basically it's using light for having therapeutic effects. And that can also include sunlight. Great. So how can light, which you can't really, well, you can sort of feel some warmth of light sometimes, but how can it heal? Um, okay, so I'm going to talk a little bit about the electromagnetic spectrum, which is just tells you, you know, we have visible light that comes from sunlight. So this, the, the reason that all of this works is because we have sunshine, we evolved to live and thrive under sunlight. So I'm going to just show you a little picture here. This is a rainbow. So all of these colors, red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, and violet, these are coming from sunlight all the time. So every time you go out under sunlight, you're being exposed to all of these colors. When they all mix together, they form white light. So people don't really have this perception of seeing all these colors. In the morning, we have red, orange, and yellow. And at dusk, we have red, orange, and yellow as the sun is setting. Those longer wavelengths come through while the shorter ones, like the blue and the green, they they get um, um, reflected. They don't come through the atmosphere. So during the morning and the, and the evening, that's when we kind of notice the red, orange, and yellow. But otherwise, all of these colors are always coming through. Like that beautiful sunset you have in the background. Now, that was a painting exactly. that you painted yourself. Yeah. And look at those beautiful colors. And those are the colors you see during a sunrise or sunset, the mm -hmm. oranges and the yellows. And the yeah. wavelengths, you said, it's, it's, it's fascinating. Yeah, so... Um, so, but again, if you're thinking in terms of the energies that are coming from the sun, visible light makes up a small amount of the entire electromagnetic spectrum, but a huge amount of energy that comes through to the earth and reaches through our atmosphere. So we've got visible light, which includes all of these colors. And then we've got infrared, which means below red, whoops, this way, red, infrared, below red, and then Red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, and violet, the colors of the rainbow, ultraviolet, yes. which means above violet. So right. those are invisible on either side. Okay. Infrared is invisible. Ultraviolet is invisible. Visible light, oops, I'm trying to do this in a Visible light is what we as human beings can see with our vision. So okay. it means to illuminate. So anything that illuminates is defined as light. So we're, when I'm talking about light therapy, I'm talking, it's kind of loosely used to define also 
wavelengths that are in the invisible range, including okay. infrared and ultraviolet. But mm. technically, light means to illuminate. So by definition, it would just be the colored wavelengths. But we're going to extend that into the invisible wavelengths as well, with infrared and UV. Yes. Okay. okay. So did that answer your question? I may have gotten off a tangent. I uh, well, well uh, it explained what, uh, what light is and the different wavelengths that have different colors. But how can it do anything to your body. This is what must be on many people's minds. Yeah, okay, so I'm gonna give you an example of something that's been used since the 1950s, which is a type of light therapy um, that has been used widely in hospitals all around the world, um, using blue light for treating babies with jaundice. Have yes. you ever heard of that? Yes, absolutely, yes. That's kind of a very common thing that a lot of people have heard about, but nobody really was giving it a lot of thought about, well, it's like my doctor said it was UV or whatever, but it's really just colored blue light. You shine in this particular case, what's happening at a chemical level in the body, you shine blue light onto the baby's bare skin yes. and the blue light gets absorbed into the baby's blood. The bilirubin, which is the chemical substance that's circulating in the blood, which is what's making the baby yellow, that mm. absorbs the blue light. And the isomer structure, the actual chemical structure of the bilirubin changes, so it becomes water-soluble, and the baby can now pee and poop it out. So it, it's oh, instead of oh. it being stuck in the blood, now it changes so that the baby can release it. Um, so that's one example, and that's just blue light, specific wavelengths of blue light. And mm. with most things, most um, aspects of light therapy, you'll find that there's a range of wavelengths. And a wavelength, um, by definition, for people that don't know, if you, you know, if you ever hear something is something nanometers, nanometer is literally a measurement of length. So wavelengths of light, when they go like this, you're talking about the measurement of one wave, one complete wave, like that. Um, so, and the length of those waves is the number of nanometers. So, you know, 600 to 700 is red, you know, loosely defined. Red wavelengths are 600 to 700. You know, in the 400s, you're looking at blue and violet, um, and then everything in between. So, um, and then above and below that are invisible. We can't see that, our human eyes. Some animals can see different wavelengths of invisible light, but for the, by definition, for humans. Okay. Um, so those, that's just one example. Um, when you shine red light onto the body, that stimulates mitochondria. This is, these are things that we know from a Western medicine chemistry standpoint. So the, I'm right now I'm talking all about what we know from a chemical standpoint that it elicits these effects in the, in the physical body that we can measure with chemistry, which is what Western medicine is based in chemistry. To really understand how all of this works, you have to go down to the quantum physics level because light is, you know, we're talking about quanta um, particles of en energy and how they are interacting with the human body. And then there's all kinds of research about that. That's more in the physics realm. So right. biophysics. Okay. okay. So okay. what else would you like to know? I, I mean, I can, I can just have a monologue about this for two hours if you want. <laughs> What's well, a fascinating let... subject. What? It's a fascinating subject. It's, it's, yeah. Um, yeah. So a it's sun... a new concept for a lot of people. So, but the, the point is that there, there are now literally tens of thousands of medical research studies that have been published in peer-reviewed journals that validate all of these healing effects. So more and more that are isolating wavelengths and testing them for different applications. And I do a ton of my own research as well. Yeah, well, so um, in addition to all those other things that I do, yes, yes, like I'm not designing submarines. No, I don't do that anymore. <laughs> well, 
it's fascinating. I mean, we're going to have several seminars, I think, really, to cover all this. <laughs> Sometimes, you know, they, we get experts on who have um, long, long lists of things that they've done, and you're one of them. <laughs> yeah, well, it's like life is long. You can be live long and prosper. Yes, yes, yes. But we're not doing that right. <laughs> you can't do that? I, I thought if I could no. do that. Okay, yeah. <laughs> You've got to prepare, prepare the motion in your mind. Do things that you enjoy doing that you're passionate about and you yes. do, you live long and prosper. Yes, yes, yeah. oh, absolutely. You get, help, you get to help millions of people at the same time. Oh, that's a bonus. Yeah, yeah. So, so I'm just touching on one thing you said just before. You said that sunlight is composed of many different wave, for, uh, wave um, lengths and you can yes. see you know, different parts are filtered morning and dusk and they contain the reds and blues and violets and greens and... Uh, I've forgotten, the, I've forgotten the Barney song, but um, sunlight contains all of these wavelengths. Yes. Wouldn't there be a fantastic effect if you don't just walk out in sunlight? Because you're getting the... These exactly. Yes. And just to, just to clarify, sunlight has a lot more than that. What reaches through the Earth's atmosphere is the visible light, the UV and the infrared. Yes. So, but it, it radiates a huge amount more energy, which is, you know, not conducive to being a living human being but it fortunately our atmosphere protects us from those more harmful yes. but um, so but what reaches the atmosphere is the visible light and the uv and the infrared um yeah so that's the number one thing i tell people it's like you want free healing go get sunshine the problem the problem in the last several decades is that there's been a lot of mythology propagated by the media and by the medical industry that sunlight causes cancer so people have become terrified of going out in sunlight and you're basically it's kind of like if somebody said you know food is bad for you and it's going to give you cancer which i'm sure there are certain foods and there are certain substances which will give you cancer but it's kind of like you're saying, oh my God, something's good. something I eat might give me cancer, so I'm going to stop eating. That's analogous to saying, I'm going to stop going out in sunshine. Sunshine is an essential nutrient. We need it to live and thrive as physical beings. I mean, nobody would ever think you know, about taking a plant and sticking it indoors and never giving it sunlight and just expecting it to, I mean, although some plants will live indoors, they won't thrive under artificial light. I mean, you can force them to, you know, propagate whatever it is that you're wanting to do in certain, like, you know, in the marijuana industry, they've kind of perfected. We want them to grow lots of buds. We want them to do this sort of thing. So, but you do need, you need to get all of the wavelengths of sunlight if you want to have a fully functioning, optimal body and psyche. And there's all kinds of research that shows that we respond to sunlight for, you know, mental well-being and emotional well-being. It reduces stress, reduces cortisol levels. I mean, the list goes on and on just from getting sunlight, which is okay. free. And then you combine that with getting out into nature and sunlight, effects go exponentially higher. Mm -hmm. Why do they put jaundice babies under blue light? But as adults, we're told we're the, the, the dangers of blue light to our eyes. <sighs> Okay, it's, a, it's kind of like when something, making people afraid of things sells products. So mm -hmm. a lot of that um, has been propagated by people that are selling, you know, things like blue light blockers. And it is true that blue light will cause damage to the eyes. If you get too much blue light, mm -hmm. it can cause 
problems with the macula, with retinal, you know, issues, um, you can also heal that completely. I mean, I have a light therapy device that we are now seeing, you know, dozens of people that have completely healed vision issues and a lot of them that were related to an excess of blue light. It's usually when you're taking um, artificial blue light and you're using things like your, you know, this, your, your smartphone that emits a very high percentage of blue light. Just, just because of the LED technology that is used to create all the colors in the screen, white light, you have to have a minimum of red green and blue. RGB screens are made with red, green, and blue. And you put those together and it forms white light and you can make all the colors that you need out of those three key colors. Mm. I won't spend a lot of time talking about LED technology. White light LED technology needs those three colors. Red light LED technology only needs red. So they're made with chemicals. But, um, But anyway, the cell phone technology, our computer screens, all LED screens, originally emitted a very high percentage of blue light. So when people are using these blue screens, and now you'll see on all the new smartphones, if you turn up your brightness too much, it'll say, oh, this can be harmful to your eyes. So be careful. And have you not seen that? No, no, no. If I turn my brightness up, it'll it'll give me a little warning message. Um, Yeah, I haven't seen that. Um, Yeah, and this is actually more of a danger for your eyes because usually people are like looking like this or, you know, children, you see them and they're shining this blue light constantly. You know, how many hours a day that they're awake and if they're attached to their phone and they're shining this bright light. (laughs) Well, well, it's eight hours a day that it's eight hours awake. Every every hour they're looking at their screens, so. Exactly. And if you're holding it back here, it's one thing. It's fine. It's going to be dissipating. But when you're holding it up here, Mm. same with, you know, when you're far enough away from your computer screen, a lot of that blue light gets dissipated. But if you're sitting under bright, you know, whether it's fluorescent lighting, which has a lot of blue in it as well. Um, Mm. So do incandescent bulbs have a lot of blue light if they're daylight incandescent bulbs, the old ones that have been banned because they're so bad for the planet. Um, So people are like, oh, LEDs are bad for you because they have a lot of, well, actually, they're just kind of, there are people out there that are demonizing LED technology. And it's Mm. it's very funny because it's like, you don't understand the science. It's just, that's just a light delivery system and technology changes. The earliest LEDs had a high percentage of blue light, just like fluorescents, you know, which have been around for decades. They're, you know, cool blue fluorescents that make you feel agitated. I mean, because they're so cool blue. There's a... Blue light um, does a number of things. In addition to healing babies with jaundice, different wavelengths of blue light um, set your circadian rhythm, blue all the way into blue-green. We have photoreceptors in our eyes that are specifically attuned to respond to a range of wavelengths in the blue to blue-green, which happens to correspond with a clear blue sky. So why, why do we have these photoreceptors in our eyes? I connect everything with evolution because then it makes logical sense to people. It's mm. like, you know, oh, you know, Mother Nature just randomly chose to put these blue light photoreceptors in our eyes. It's because in the middle of the day, when you see blue, that should tell your body it's the middle of the day. You need to be wide awake because you're a, you're a daytime animal. You're not a nocturnal animal. When you see daylight, it means shut off melatonin production. So when you see blue light, it immediately sends a signal to your brain, the pineal gland, to speak to the suprachiasmatic nucleus, which is your body clock. Mm. And it says, it's daytime, shut off melatonin production. Melatonin is a very important hormone in the body. And one of the things that it does is it makes you sleepy at night. So, and a lot of people are familiar with that because you can buy melatonin, artificial melatonin in pills. 
So it, it makes you sleepy, but you don't want to be sleepy in the middle of the day. If you're, you know, a caveman and you're out hunting and you've got the big saber-toothed tiger that's out prowling around and he sees you sleeping in the field there, he's going to, <laughs> he's going to say, oh, it's lunchtime, snack. So <laughs> you don't want to be falling asleep in the middle of the day. So no. again, natural selection would dictate that anybody that doesn't have this ability to see it's daytime and wake up, shut off melatonin production, mm. you're not going to be around to pass on your gene pool. So um, anyway, there again, blue light, then that way sets circadian rhythm. So when it's daytime and you see blue light, your body's like, oh, daytime, daytime now. <laughs> X number of hours from now, I got a weird feedback thing there. X number of hours from now means that the sun should be going down, and then I'm going to start seeing more of that red, orange, and yellow light, <laughs> less blue light, and my body's going to go, oh, not daytime anymore. Start getting sleepy. Start producing melatonin because I'm no longer getting the blue light signal. Mm. All of that was well and good for thousands of years as humans were evolving. But then, you know, in the last however many years that we've had LED screens and t technology that people you know, now it's like they're, they can't sleep at night, probably because they've been using their cell phone or their tablet right before bed. And all of that blue light is going to their eyes and saying, it's the middle of the day, be wide awake. You're not going to bed right now. Your, your cyber tooth tiger will eat you if you go, if you go to sleep right now. So, so they can't fall asleep and then they have terrible insomnia and then they might fall asleep and then they wake up a couple hours later, three in the morning or something like that. And the first thing they do is they pick up their tablet and they're like, oh, I can't sleep, so I'm going to read for a while. Mm -hmm. But what do you do? And then you've got blue light going in your eyes and your your body's going, saber tooth tiger's going to come and get you if you go to sleep, so wake up. <laughs> so anyway, that do you see how that all that works? I can. So that's why, like, don't use these or have a blue light blocker on your screen. Because you wow. Now, saber tooth tigers, just for the record, weren't around while, while uh, yeah, but it sounds I great. Can, I because it's a good, I could say, like, the dinosaur, <laughs> and I really could like, my level of knowledge of cavemen. So I, I, like that, I like that imagery. Or I could use, like, a pterodactyl coming in. Yeah, that's even better, I think. We, we can't let the truth get in the way of a good story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when, I, when I've told this story in the past, I'm like, okay, they actually weren't around at the same time, but you get the picture. Oh, whatever, whatever live ferocious thing was around at the time. <laughs> Neanderthal man, for example. Was yes, it. yes. What would, have, what would have been his favorite thing to not get eaten by? Okay. Mm. So, so, so <laughs> yeah. It's, so that's this, this actually a very good point you've given. Like, um, don't look at a computer screen or smartphone if you're trying to go to sleep. because, Or just before going to sleep, don't check your emails because you're, you'll be exactly. you know, looking at the blue light and you'll be looking up for saber-toothed tigers, as you say. Well, like as technology develops, so there there already have been workarounds for this for for laptop and computer technology because there are software programs like Flux has been around for years. I mean, when I started teaching about the science of light therapy eleven years ago, um, yeah, Flux. I think they came out. They came on board. They came around shortly after that. If not, if they weren't already in in. Um, production, whatever, because it was already, people were already aware that our LED screens from our computers were emitting mm. this blue light. So um, you need to not be exposed to that, not just because of the harmful effects to the eyes uh, themselves, but also because of the circadian disruption. So, um, but now there are other ones and there are apps for the phone, but now 
all new smartphones have built right in nighttime mode. So right in your phone technology, because awareness is raised now about the fact that these, you know, are harmful to people. Not just, again, not just because of it shining into the eyes, but all the harmful effects from having your circadian rhythm disrupted, insomnia, and all the problems with brain health, physical health that go with having poor sleep, chronic poor sleep, which is really, really bad for you. And so those modes turn off the blue or just turn down the blue? Yes. They, well, they should turn off, I mean, completely shift the colors. That's why with, I haven't found any really good apps for smartphones yet that don't shift the colors and make everything look brown. Like they turn blacks into brown because they, they up, up the red basically is what they're doing across the board. Um, but on flux on the computer, um, F period LUX, that doesn't shift the colors so like it does a very imperceptible shift where it reduces the blue and the blue and the blue green both of which you know disrupt circadian rhythm and it turns all of your colors into the soft peachy pink white instead of a stark blue white and you'll see what i mean if you install flux and it's a free app and you you do it you turn it on at night you can turn it on and turn it off and you can immediately see how the colors shift and as soon as that you go into the blue light mode white it's white light but it, it has a lot of blue in it and you're like oh my god wide awake it's very stimulating so in addition to shutting off melatonin production blue light also stimulates a, a peptide neuropeptide in the brain called orexin hypocritin which makes you alert so, and you get too much of that though, it makes you jittery, like agitated. So that's why if people are under a lot of bright, you know, blue tinted artificial lighting for a very long time, you can start to get mm, like that, agitated. Right. Um, that's the question that's coming from Bev Wright. She's asking, um, are there any colors and super bright LED bulbs that are used indoors during the winter? Well, I guess probably what you've already said, it contains the three colors. The, uh... If you're talking about white LEDs, so distinguishing between white LEDs and all other LEDs, that's an important thing because yes. white LEDs you have to make with red, green, and blue. Yes. You need the three core components to be able to make white light. It's just okay. by definition, you can't mm. make white light. I mean, um, so like red light LEDs, don't have blue light in them, they have red. Okay, okay. Um, green light LEDs have green in them. They don't have blue or red or anything else. I mean, you, they're made with different chemicals. So, but the way when you make white LEDs, you have to mix red, green, and blue. So they're made with wafers and they mix the colors that way. I'm not sure what she's talking about. Super, um, super bright? What is that? Is well, that a they, brand? No, no, it sounds like a dishwashing liquid, doesn't it? But it's, um, <laughs> Right. Yeah. No, I think, yeah. uh, well, a lot of homes are turning to LEDs to keep away from this evil incandescence, which are actually not too bad because they don't contain mercury. But the, um, I guess if you choose an LED that's a warm white, because they don't have more reds in it rather than blue. Yes. Yeah. They're, you, they're, again, like technology evolves. So it's like mm. the earliest LEDs had a predominance of blue in them because that was just how they were made. I mean, you needed the blue to increase the brightness. And, but then, you know, now they've come out with LEDs and they're coming out with full, like full spectrum LEDs or, mm. well, they already are out there. They're not true, true full spectrum. They don't fully emulate sunlight, but um, it's, it's technology that's, it could be made the problem is that when you have new technology, it's like the price point, the demand has to be high enough to bring the price down so that there's enough 
You know what I mean? Because it's more, more complex to add all of those colors in and it's more costly. And people are used to, you know, paying, you know, 30 cents for an incandescent bulb or a dollar, whatever it was that they cost. Um, so getting people first to adopt LED technology, I mean, after fluorescence, but fluorescence had such a bad rep because of the mercury. Mm. Um, and, uh, um, but, and because of that whole, you know, the, the, the flicker rate and all sorts of other things, but um, there are better, there are better quality fluorescents and poorer quality fluorescents. There are better quality LEDs and poorer quality LEDs. Incandescents by definition are just really bad because they're, I mean, if you want some kind of a mood light that has more red, I mean, you can get LEDs that, you know, you can mix those colors. You can use the technology to create whatever color you want. Um, but incandescents by definition are just really, really outdated technologies from a, from a light emitting source standpoint, because they, you know, you plug, you plug in your lamp into the wall, you know, that you, that electricity that's coming to your house, you're paying for that electricity for every kilowatt hour you have to pay for that so that incandescent bulb to emit a certain amount of light uses a huge amount of energy and emits a small amount of light and a huge amount of heat because you turn on that incandescent bulb and it Im immediately is getting very hot you can't touch those things you know you mm -hmm. try to change them you have to wait until they cool down mm -hmm. because all of that energy that you're paying that electric company for is getting wasted in the form of heat you want it to be a light emitting source. You don't want a heat emitting source. If I want to heat my house, I'm not going to plug in hundreds of decibels. <laughs> That's not the most efficient way to heat your house. No. I'm going to like have some kind of you know furnace or something like that or a heat pump or whatever. But I'm not going to use light bulbs, incandescent light bulbs, to heat my house. I do want to use light bulbs that are going to illuminate my house. So am I going to use one that is a huge energy waster and waste like a high, very high percentage of that energy that is consuming in the form of heat or LEDs, which are, you know, consume a very small amount of energy and emit a very high percentage of light compared to the heat. Of course, again, there's quality differences in LEDs. There are LEDs that do get hot that are not very efficient and they waste a fair amount of energy in the form of heat. Um, nothing like incandescence though. So you can get a lot more light illumination for your kilowatt hour bang for your buck kind of thing from an LED. Right, right, makes, makes sense. Now one of the questions that has come in, it's a, it's a, it's a bite, it's a, it's a big one, uh, photobiomodulation. What is mm -hmm. photobiomodulation? Bio. Photobiomodulation is using photons, so yes. photo, photo, photons of light, um, particles of light, waves of light, whatever, they're, you know, photons act as particles and waves. Mm. Um, and so photo just means the light portion, biomodulation, bio, a biological thing, and modulation, changing it in some way. So you're modulating you're affecting biology through the use of light. So it's light therapy, but it's a fancier term for light therapy. Okay. So it's, it's just applying light and the, pro, and the effect that the light has on your body. That's biophotic. Exactly. Yeah. Photobiomodulation. <laughs> it's just a, it's a fancier term for light therapy. Okay. Okay. Um, if light, how, how can light affect internal organs, like, for example, your brain? Because the light mm -hmm. can't surely part, you know, enter your brain or reach the brain. Or I like to think it can't. Or so, can it? Well, 
Yes, actually, it can. Wow. Um, yeah, so um, uh, near-infrared can go through bone. Um, infrared in general can go through bone. You don't want, I mean, but near-infrared will stimulate the mitochondria. Um, mid- and far-infrared, which are heat, thermal, infrared, don't get absorbed by the cells. They get absorbed by the water in the body. Um, so, but you you can, like, I have a, a, a light device and I designed it in a way that it can be used to not only go directly through the skull to treat the brain for things like Alzheimer's, dementia, Parkinson's, um, uh, um, toxicity in the brain. What else have people been using it for? Uh, improved cognitive function, um, uh, glioma, uh, brain tumor. Um, wow. thank you. Actual applications, um, a condition called intracranial hypertension, where you have this increase of pressure in the brain, um, unknown cause, um, gets rid of that. So anyway, but yeah, I designed it so that it will not only go directly through the skull, but also gets carried through the meridians, the energy channels that are the basis of Eastern, all of Eastern medicine is based on energy. And it's about the energy channels, these meridians, as they're called, that circulate the life force energy through your body. So you can transmit the energies that are in the rejuvenator, both through the skull directly and also through the meridians to go deeper into the brain. Remarkable. I always thought light could only go a certain distance into your skin, but... Well, yeah, but that's, that's the, that's the Western, the Western mentality that's thinking of, you know, photons of light going through, and those tests are typically done on ex vivo tissue or in a, you know, some kind of artificial culture as opposed to measuring them in the human body. But they, if you're taking light and shining it directly through solid substance, yes, there is a certain depth that different wavelengths will go. But the meridians, these energy channels, carry light through them as well. So you can transmit the light deeper into the body. That's how you can you can put heat deep into the body by putting it through the meridians. Right. Um, so Alzheimer's, what sort of mm -hmm. effect can be had with Alzheimer's? Um, yeah, well, there's actually been research that's been going on since, God, when did they start doing this? And um, a, a Dr. Dougal in the UK started researching near-infrared for treating Alzheimer's. But it's been at least, I don't know, 15 years or something like that, I think. Yes. yes. Something like that. Um, but anyway, um, yeah, so I have, so far I only have one person that's used my device for treating Alzheimer's. And they've already seen um, not only stopping of the progression of Alzheimer's, but now reversal of symptoms. So it's somebody's mother and they're using it for treating her brain directly. And they immediately saw that the, she had rapid onset Alzheimer's and was progressing very, you know, downhill mm -hmm. rapidly. It stopped the progression. And now they're seeing reversal where she's able to have conversations and process information um, and have different speech patterns than she had been kind of locked into for a very long time. So, um, yeah. Um, and there, there are, you know, again, there are research studies that are that have already validated that near-infrared treating the brain and treating Alzheimer's in particular. But Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, dementia, um, like I said, I've got one guy that um, had this heavy 
load of toxicity in his brain that had penetrated through the blood-brain barrier. And he had tried all kinds of other devices, red light, near-infrared, even the one that used to cup your nose that supposedly is specifically designed for treating the brain. Mm. He didn't have any success at all with those. And he immediately, within the first day, he's like, oh my God, I can totally feel my brain functioning again. And within two days, he's like, I haven't felt this clear in five years. So, um, so it's fast. I mean, again, because it's designed to treat at these different levels, it's not just going through the skull and treating the brain, it's going into the meridians, mm. getting deeper into the brain. Wow. So, um, what different, um, machines have different, def- have, uh, different efficiencies? Um, why are some better than others? Um, well, there are, well, there are tons of light therapy products that are mm. popping up all over the market now since, I mean, like when I first started teaching about light therapy, there was almost, there was nothing really, nothing that was being used from a therapeutic standpoint, other than occasionally you'd see these little pen lights for treating arthritis. Um, and you know, for stimulating collagen production, that's been around, that's the beauty industry kind of embraced the whole light therapy thing a long time ago, because it's like, Hey, you know, this makes your skin get rid of wrinkles it reduces hyperpigmentation, has all these benefits for the skin. Um, uh, so it was already used. It's kind of like, you know, taking blue light for treating babies with jaundice. It's like you adopt it, people like see that it works and they don't really question it. It's like, oh, I, I got a red light treatment on my face. So it was already being used in the beauty industry. So when I started teaching about it, it's like, no, this will do way more than just get rid of your wrinkles. It will have all these healing effects. So as, as the whole light therapy trend started getting more and more popular and it's really been in the last five years that it's really taken off because you know early on I was doing just tons and tons of interviews and getting the word out there through all these different mediums and videos and YouTube videos and then bloggers would write articles based on my YouTube videos and then it just kind of spread that way and um, um, but now what you see is this blood of people that have kind of been flooding the market it's like anything you know something becomes a growing trend and you get internet marketers that are like, hey, all I have to do is slap some LEDs into a casing, or better yet, let me just go on, you know, one of these websites and I'll buy some industrial plant grow lights and rebrand them as light therapy lights, and I'll make a bunch of money because everybody's wanting this stuff, and I make a slick website. So that's what you're seeing a lot of. Um, and the ones that are designed to grow plants are really not very good for treating humans because they're way too bright. But they're 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 um rationale is that some must be good you know some is good so a lot must be way better to you know blast people with this yeah and i've had so many people that you know like started off with one of those devices and they're like i bought one of those things and oh my god it actually made me feel worse it made me feel depleted i just got another report from somebody yesterday same thing so uh, because they're not designed for humans for for one thing and there is too much is too much so like I use the analogy, if you have a plant outdoors, you've got a potted plant and you want to take care of your nice flowering plant, right? So you want to water it. You want to make sure your plant gets nice watered, mm. gets sunshine. So you take your watering hose and you water it. You don't put it on a super light sprinkle because that will take forever. So again, there are some light therapy devices out there which are super weak. They're not strong enough. They'll, they'll have some effect on the mitochondria. You just have to like spend hours and hours using them because they're so weak. But um, so you turn up your hose to the right level. So now I've got a nice healthy spray. It's not going to harm my plant. And I'm done with watering that plant maybe in 10 seconds. You know, I don't have to stand there for an hour and water my plant. But 
the analogy of using like an industrial plant grow light for watering that plant is like it's like you turning up your hose on to full blast or taking a fire hose you know and now you've got this huge blast of water and i'm going to water it. yeah it's going to water the plant really quickly and it's also going to blast all the leaves off it's going to expose the roots it's going to be you know, <laughs> the plant is going to be so distressed from that that it's going to be like, oh my God, what you do to me? It's like, I didn't need that much water that fast. Yeah, yeah. So, so um, that's what, that's what in, in reality, that's what happens with those. So, and there's a lot of mythology again. It's like, you know, some is good. A lot more must be better. And then you can reduce treatment times and it's, it's not, it's none of it is valid. And they're, they're basing a lot of their, you know, and they try to make people think that they need to do all of these calculations and you need to know how many joules of light per centimeter squared and how many minutes and how many inches away from it. And they try to make it so complicated. And I'm like, okay, people, you don't, you don't need to, you don't need to get a PhD in light therapy. Like I have, I have the equivalent of probably like three PhDs in light therapy from just from everything that I've studied and all the research I've been doing over the years. Um, you don't need to, do all of that studying and relearn everything. Just like if you want to go and buy a Tesla or even a Honda Civic, you don't need to go and, you know, work with Elon Musk or you don't need to go and get an engineering degree and then a mechanics certification and all of that to be able to shop for a car, even like one with proprietary technology like the Tesla. You don't need to know everything that goes into it to know whether you want to buy that car. It's like get in, drive it, how does it feel? Does it accelerate? Well, do I know that it's got good repair? You know, like, is it going to fall apart on me as soon as I start driving it? Or, and is it going to take me from point A to point B? Do I like the way it feels? Do I like the way it looks? Those are the things that are important. Is it going to do what I want it to do? So in a car, those are kind of the things that like, I want it. What, why do I want a car? I want it to take me around. I want it to get me there as quickly as I can get. And I'd liked it to be low gas mileage or no gas, even better. And I'd like to really look kind of cool in it. If I, you know, if I can afford a car that makes me look really cool, that's great. So um, all of those things are the, you know, the important things. You don't need to go and learn how to design the inner workings of that car. Same thing with light therapy devices. All you need to do is look at the results. Is this going to, is this proven? Is this specific device proven to treat exactly what I want to treat? Or is there hypothetical conjecture and a bunch of marketing hype saying, theoretically, we've, we have research that shows that this wavelength will do this in the body and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, so, so it's basically trying to confuse people into thinking they have to know all of this information, the technical information, where really they don't. It's like, because if you have results, you know, actual healing results, you don't need to know it. That's all that in at the end of the day, that's what people care about. Is it going to make me feel better? Is it going to heal my problems? Is it going to make me look younger? Is it going to make me feel younger? Is it going to make me feel stronger? And like, I want to get up and jump out of bed and I'm ready to go. I'm going to sleep great at night. All of those things. That's what people care about. So, um, that's why I just keep telling people, it's like, focus on what do you care about? Do you, do you, do you want to, do you want to go back and get a degree and all of this stuff just so you can go and buy a device? Mm. So. If, a, if a glow lamp is, if a grow lamp is too powerful, can you shine it directly against a white wall and have uh, scattered dispersed light? Well, then you get, then you get a lot of dilution. So um, you, hmm, um, if you want to use it for, 
illuminating a bedroom and for mood lighting, I mean, it's kind of a waste of, waste of, um, you don't need something like that. You can just get one of those RGB LED bulbs that has the little, you know, clicker on it. Um, and even that's going to have some mitochondrial stimulation effect when you're shining the red, uh, because all red, engineer infrared, has that effect of stimulating mitochondria. Some stimulate up here, some are down here, like very minimal. Others are, you know. Um, so is there any, I don't recommend them because of the fact that, well, they emit a very high level of EMF as well, electromagnetic frequencies. So um, because they have fans and motors in them, because they're using, they're typically using very high output, but low efficiency LEDs. So they waste a lot of that energy in the form of heat. LED technology, by definition, they, LEDs don't like to be hot. So when they get too hot, it actually really substantially shortens the life. So you want to make sure if you're not using very good quality LEDs, then you have to put in fans and motors. So it mm. blows them and keeps them cool. Mm. Okay, so, that makes sense. Uh, there's not really any benefit to using them other than the fact that, but if you're going to use them, I mean, don't spend a thousand dollars on one or, you know, like one that's been rebranded as a light therapy device, go on, mm. you know, some website and buy it in a, I mean, Amazon, you can buy them on Amazon industrial plant grow lights if that's what you want it for. But again, just be careful because they, they will, like if you shine them directly on you, I mean, it's for people that are, that are relatively healthy. It's kind of like drinking a Red Bull, you know, like that blast of caffeine. But if you're <laughs> for people that are sick or at all, or mm. feeling depleted energetically, it actually, it gives you the surge and then you get the crash. So that's where you get that after effect where people then it's like, oh my God, I feel terrible afterwards. So, and it, and it usually hits them quite quickly. I mean, the first, the first time they use it or the first few times, I mean, and it will continue to deplete them. So um, yeah, but if people, I mean, if there's a thing out, outside, go get sunshine. I mean, that's free. Mm. Well, so the other thing, I mean, what's that? Oh, some countries don't so have so much sunlight. Like the, um, the ones in the hemispheres like Norway, they, you know, they don't get much sun. Right. So. Well, they don't get much sun. In the, in the reason that the reason that people from northern hemispheres have such fair skin, fair eyes, fair hair is because they evolved under that lack of sunlight, lack of strong sunlight. So your body evolved in a way that it would soak up as much of that available sunlight as possible because there is still sunlight. I mean, it does get daytime, except sometimes it's like if the sun only comes up for a very short amount of time, depending on the time of year, other times it's completely dark. Um, so you, but your body evolved to be your skin, your eyes and your hair design uh, evolved so that you could, when the sun is shining, absorb as much of it as possible. And, you know, we know about the vitamin D connection, the hormone D um, that gets created when you get UVB on your skin. So you have to get UVB on the skin in order to create vitamin D. But if the sun only has like a very tiny window where it's actually UVB is getting to you, then your body has to go, oh, I've got a tiny window where I've got this. So you have to be outside. You have to get the sun. And then your body creates as much as it needs and it stores it for the times that it's not going to get it. So that's why our bodies are actually designed to maximize on sunlight absorption during the months when the sun is shining. So, you know, it's like back in the day, we, people would be out hunting the field, growing crops, doing whatever, but they're outdoors all day during the daylight hours. 
And then in the winter months, you're not outdoors as much. I mean, you go outdoors some of the time, but there isn't, the sun doesn't get high enough in the sky for the UVB effect. And even so, you're not going to go out and lay in the sun when it's the middle of winter. It's just too cold. So your body is designed to maximize the production of vitamin D in the months when the sun is shining. So it's kind of like make hay while the sun is shining. Mm -hmm. It's like make vitamin D while the sun is shining. So your body will make copious amounts of it. If you get enough sun on your skin, you have to have it on bare skin, no sunscreen. Because if you have sunscreen, that's going to block all those UV rays. So you're not going to make the vitamin D that you need. Um, and you may, because if you're from a northern climate, if you have super fair skin and you're in a northern climate, of course, you're, you're, you're in the perfect place for your skin type. But uh, since we have, you know, migration not everybody stays where their ancestors evolved so you may be from norway but now you're living in texas like i live in austin texas sun is a lot stronger than the sun in norway so you're going to be like a little crispy thing if you spend too much time out under the sun because you don't have the type of skin for this type of sunlight so but you still need to get your minimum daily requirement of sunshine so you it may mean that you only go out for five minutes a day and that's your minimum daily requirement for your skin type at this latitude you know and if you go close to the equator maybe 30 seconds before you start to burn but do you know what i mean but you still need to get the minimum daily requirement then you can cover up then you can put some non-toxic sunscreen on but you still need to get that minimum daily requirement for your body to do what it needs to do with the available sunlight okay you, um, you've touched on the um on different wavelengths, do different mm -hmm. colors of light um, have different effects on the body? Like for Alzheimer's, you'd use your, what is it, your, your um, near infrared? Um, yeah. And do you find that there's other colors that have different effects on your body or better for different conditions? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, what's been heavily researched? Because when I started teaching about this, you know, again, 11 years ago, there was a predominance of research in the red and near infrared realm. So, I focused heavily on those because I knew that I needed to lead with science. Because even though we've had light therapy has been around for thousands of years, and there have actually been clinics in the past where it's like the treatment was here, go lay under the sun. I mean, clinics in um, Switzerland and in Canada that were for treating tuberculosis of the bones. And it's like they put these children lay under the sun. That's your treatment. That's your entire therapy. Lay yeah. under the sun and it would heal them because you get all of these wavelengths from the sun. So, um, but the, in the research realm, red and near infrared had been the most heavily researched along with blue. Um, blue more for um, the, the jaundice thing, which was an accidental discovery, by the way, that was discovered in the 1950s in the UK. Um, and there was a neonatal hospital and they knew, the nurses knew that, you know, when I take these jaundiced babies and bring them out into sunshine, they, they seem to get better. And they're like, oh, you're a nurse, what do you know? And uh, like, so, so they, there was a baby that had very visible jaundice, very yellow, and they took a blood sample and sent it to the lab. And um, the lab technician, you know, back in the day when you had your lab in the hospital, the lab technician, um, took the, the blood sample and stuck it in the windowsill and then he went on a long lunch break or something. He didn't get around to testing it for quite a while. And then when he finally tested the blood sample, he was the thing, the substance that he was looking for that would say that the baby had jaundice was no longer there because again, remember the isomer structure changes. So he's like, this baby doesn't have jaundice. And they're like, yeah, the baby has jaundice. The baby's all yellow, go look at it. So then they started wondering what happened? You know, what happened to the blood sample? 
and all I ever all I did was stick it in the window windowsill and um, then they figured out that the sunlight somehow had this effect on the blood and then they figured out and then it, you know with, the, with more experimentation they narrowed it down to ah oh, it's the blue light that's within sunlight because remember again all those wavelengths are found with sunlight so you don't have to leave your baby in the hospital you can actually take your baby home and stick your baby under the sun like people used to do you know before we had hospitals and before you know like people would the baby would be born and people would take the baby outdoors it wasn't like oh my god the baby's born it's gonna like you know you have to protect it and everything it's like mm -hmm. people would take the baby outdoors so it would finish its developmental process by getting sunlight and Anyway, but now babies are born and they stick them in a hospital wing and they're in the dark, you know, they're in these artificial lighting and, mm. and then they develop jaundice after a few days. So um, did that answer your question? No, oh, okay. Different, different colored wavelengths. Yeah. yeah. So, um, but the red and near infrared, it's just been, it's because there's been a lot of research in that. In the research realm, the way that you get funding to do more research is to do, is to prove something that's already been proven. And so you can get money to do that research study if we already know that that's going to be work. They won't like they won't give you money just to test these things out of the blue. I have a kind of crazy idea about you know what if I do you know something random. They're like no, we we have to we have to know that it's actually already going to work, or you're going to prove something that's already been proven, and then you can extrapolate from there a little bit. So there's there's a lot of creativity if you know anybody that's in the research realm as to what goes into creating research studies and doing things to get money for doing research studies. So you have to jump through the hoops and you have to, so that's why you tend to see a predominance in, in the light therapy realm, for example, that is focused on these specific wavelengths in the red to near infrared, but it doesn't mean that other wavelengths all have healing effects as well. So there just hasn't been as much medical research. It's starting to come out now as people kind of branch out. Okay, do, is the mechanics understood, the effect of the photons on the mitochondria and how it can actually stimulate healing? Um, well, what, the, what, the, what is believed is that there's um, a chromophore in the, in the cells that is called cytochrome C oxidase. It absorbs the photons. It creates, there's a cascade mechanism that happens. Um, it stimulates the mitochondria to create ATP, but it's part of the Krebs cycle. It's this complicated you know, multi-step process, but that's basically, it's kind of like the trigger, the catalyst for starting this cycle happening, even with cells that are not typically producing energy. That's why you can create energy in cells that are, you know, like a wound it will accelerate wound healing because it makes the cells create more energy. And I, and instead of just focusing on light therapy, because that's focusing on the physical body, I wanted to replenish the depleted energy body which is the root of why you know why you have a wound that's not healing in the mm. first place because mm. your body just doesn't have enough of that life force energy so western medicine kind of like doesn't really even acknowledge the energy body at all it doesn't acknowledge that we have this life force energy there's like okay we've got oxygen and it does these things in the blood and it gets carried through and we get these electrical impulses from the heart and it does that but mm. it's like what about the life force energy that differentiates you from a dead body? And, you know, like you would never, for studying Eastern medicine, you don't, you would never study a dead body because there's no energy in the dead body. You can't like, you can't, I mean, you can look at the organs, and, but you can't learn anything about the energy body by studying a dead body because it doesn't have any energy anymore. That's sure. like, you know, so you, yeah. 
So, um, so that's why I put it. I put additional healing energies into the light that go well beyond light therapy. So there's the light therapy aspect and the near infrared and the red light, mm. but then there's additional light force energy. So. Okay, so if the photons are introducing energy to the mitochondria, why is the wavelength so important? Oh, because in particular, red into near infrared stimulates mitochondria. Not all wavelengths stimulate mitochondria. In understand. This is just the red into near infrared. So okay. 600 to 1,050 nanometers has that effect on the cells themselves. Okay. So if it does like red light won't heal a baby of jaundice red yes. light is not going to cause that chemical change in the bilirubin you can shine red light on the baby all you want it's not going to do anything for the bilirubin okay um but does the light sense? it does but the light from a red lights led is incoherent yep. and so we're getting many many photons which are interfering with each other when right. they strike the target and so it's not like a a tiger which is sensitive to a particular light frequency can respond to a whole, it's like raindrops falling down. They, they, they don't make a tune. when They go one after the other. They just come blanketing down. And so, right. and so but when you talk about like a laser light source where we've got true light coherence. But, right. Okay, but, but, okay, stop. Hold that thought there. Okay. Is sunlight coherent or non-coherent? Non-coherent. Exactly. So why would your body respond to coherent light better than what it evolved to respond to? It, our bodies were designed to respond to and take in non-coherent light and turn it into coherent light in the body. That's why lasers can be extremely harmful. You can't, well, you know, too much LED, too much, too much of that stimulation is harmful as well. But in, in general, you're, you're not going to cause cellular damage from non-coherent light like you will with a laser. So if you shine a laser on the skin, you, that's why you have to have these very short treatment times. Lasers are great for doing surgery and for you know, cutting things um, and for doing research and things like that. Um, but the body doesn't receive coherent light. It gets harmed by it. It's designed to take in non-coherent light. So, but you can stimulate healing effects using lasers, but it's not nearly as effective as using the exact same wavelength in a non-coherent light source. Because again, our body is designed to take in non-coherent light and again, turn it into, so this is biophotonics, the science of biophotonics, which has been going on since the 1970s. Dr. Fritz Albert Popp um, is one of the early pioneers in the biophotonics. He's kind of the one that validated it by creating a machine that finally proved that we do our, our DNA, our cells give off light. We take in, absorb, use light, give off light. Our bodies give off light, just like plants do. So he was the one that created a machine that proved it for the, for the very first time. We, we had known about it before. There was a guy in 1922, Alexander Gervich, who, who proved that biophotons exist that plants communicate through light they have this way of communicating through light but he didn't have technology that could validate it he had proved it in a research in research studies you know that somehow they're talking to each other and i know that when i block certain wavelengths of light they can't communicate anymore mm. so he proved it from that standpoint but there was no technology that existed at the time to be able just like you know what we knew that 
there's there you know light coming from these sources and there were no spectrometers back in the day you know when the, whoever it was that I'm forgetting the name of the scientist that discovered you know the the spectral emission and then also that there are invisible wavelengths of infrared that mm. are you know the Fraunhofer waves and all uh, lines and all okay. of that um, but um, so technology evolves and catches up and um, you know, we now have technology that can measure wavelengths from different light sources, whether they're artificial or natural light sources. So um, it's called a spectrometer. But that spectrometer can't measure life force energy. All it can do is tell you these wavelengths are coming from the sun right now, and there's a high percentage of blue light because it's the middle of the day, and there's less red, red, orange, and yellow because mm -hmm. it's the middle of the day. But now as the sun is setting, there's more red, orange, and yellow. Um, it can tell you that it can tell you how much red, orange or red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo and violet are from an artificial light source. Or if there are those or if they're just red, green and blue that are being mixed together to make the perception of those other colors. So right. it can tell you that, but it cannot tell you when you're out in nature. You know what it feels like when you're in nature? How does it feel? Right. <laughs> yeah, it feels great, right? It feels very good. It feels soothing. It feels like nurturing. It feels healing. Right. Um, whereas if you're in a dangerous neighborhood, have you ever been in a dangerous neighborhood? Uh, yes, I have been. I have. Yes. So mm. how do you know when you're in a dangerous neighborhood? Uh, well, I see the dangers around me. And I... Is, I and, um, is, it, is it just visual? What if they're, it's the middle of the day and nobody's on the street? Sometimes it's intuition. Sometimes I just know that something's about to, you know, something right. may may happen soon. So and and because it's a, yeah, it's a feeling. Most people mm, will say it's a, they feel mm, it. You feel right. like there's something. You know, the hair on the back of your head stands up, and it's like, oh, you know, there's something like I have to get out of here. I don't know why. I just know your sixth sense, whatever you want to call it, your intuition. It's a feeling. You're tuning in with that energy. There's something that's not quite right here, and that's I know right. that. It's dangerous, and it may mm. there may not be anybody in the street. It's the middle of the day; sun might be shining, but you're still like, "I got to get out of here. I have to leave. I don't know why. I just need to get out." Mm. Um, and then you know, you you go later and you read the paper, and you're like, "Oh, there were like ten killings in that neighborhood in the last week." Okay, well, maybe that's what I'm picking up on. So don't mm. be in that neighborhood. So, but if you take a spectrometer, this piece of technology that can measure the sunlight and you're in that dangerous neighborhood, you bring your spectrometer, you shine it up at the sky or you point it up at the sky to take a reading of the sunlight that's coming down in the dangerous neighborhood that you're getting this feeling, I got to get out of here. You yeah. go three blocks away. You, now you're in a, you're still in a rundown neighborhood, but this one, does, I don't feel like I'm in danger in this one. Still not, it's still kind of dingy and it doesn't look beautiful, but at least here, I don't feel like somebody's going to kill me. And um, you take a spectrometer reading in that neighborhood, same, same time of day, same sunshine, same, you know, no, same cloud cover and all of that sort of thing. Same, let's say it's clear blue sky, same sun, same time of day, go a few more blocks away. Now you're in the middle of this wooded forest and it's like, ah, oh, this feels great. This is so much better than a dangerous neighborhood. I feel like amazing here. Take your spectrometer, take a reading of the sun in the nice, you know, wooded area. Mm. What do you think the difference is going to be in those three spectrometer readings? I wouldn't have thought there'd be any difference because you're measuring the light. Exactly. That machine can only measure the light. The yes. machine cannot measure the feeling that you get mm. in nature. It can't get which is that life force energy, chi, prana, whatever you want to call it. It can't measure that amazing feeling. It can't measure the dangerous feeling. So you look at three 
three spectral outputs, you're like, oh, same thing. It's like, no, but don't go in that one. You know, that first neighborhood, don't go there. It's like the other. So the machine can't distinguish between that. So light therapy devices that are just emulating wavelengths of light, they're just reproducing wavelengths of light. So you're missing that other component. I was hoping, I was quietly hoping, Leanne, that you were going to tell me that there is a photon difference and you can tell. No, not, not in that kind of machine. No, there, there will not be. Uh, I was hoping, I was hoping to be proven wrong. (laughs) Yeah. No, no, I could, I might be able to manipulate the machine to give you a false reading, but. Mm. Okay. Um, Um, Okay. Can, can mental health be improved with, through the use of light? Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, Yeah. Same thing. I mean, um, you can use, again, you can, I've had a lot of people that have used my device for treating stress, anxiety, depression, um, what other types of things, but stress and anxiety are huge. Anxiety and depression, huge problems. Um, So it gets, gets rid of that. But Harvard has also done a study in the last handful of years, and they used near-infrared specifically for treating this particular area of the brain for anxiety and depression in particular. Um, And they did a four-minute treatment um, and found that every single person in the study who who was very high, I believe it's called the HAM scale, H-A-M, it's a type of test that they use for for diagnosing, you know, level of stress and depression, or anxiety and depression, Mm. And uh, so these were people that were very high in the spectrum. And um, yeah, with every single person, it like reduced their stress and uh, their anxiety and depression, like lower, lower, lower. And then at two weeks, it kind of peaked at the lowest point and then it started to come up, which would suggest that then you would want another treatment um, until, and that's what I found with my light is that when people treat different things, because they're bringing up that life force energy while they're treating the physical body at the same time, they they get they completely get rid of a problem that they've had for a very long time if it comes back at all it may come back you know kind of like briefly but then it is gone forever so it's like because you're healing at the root level um so it has a cumulative effect so it's kind of like if you think of your body having this energy reservoir you know a gas tank of your energy and because people live in cities it's like we live in cities where we don't have the luxury all the time of living out in the middle of a forest. If, if everybody could live out in the middle of a forest and not have technology and not have artificial, you know, Wi-Fi and lighting and things like that, that are constantly depleting your life force energy, people wouldn't be getting sick. And of course you have to have all perfect relationships and no stress in your life and your like that. Um, then you wouldn't be getting sick because you'd be yeah. getting all of that natural life force energy from being in nature and yeah. having all of that, you know, being around running water. You can feel it, you know, mm. running water, huge mm. amounts of that. Mm. Um, so, um, yeah, if you, if you had all of that, if you had that luxury of being able to live in that, then you probably would have a lot less disease, mental health, mental disease and physical disease. But because people live in cities and we, you know, we have jobs and we have these things that we have to do. Um, it's kind of like you've got this gas tank that starts off full when you're little, if well, it depends on your childhood, obviously, and you know how healthy your parents were when you were first born. But you're, you basically, then you're living in a city and you're siphoning off, there's always something siphoning off that mm. gas, you know? Mm. So you're trying to fill it 
through eating and exercise. And if you're eating really bad food, your, your, your siphoning is happening a lot faster than you're putting the energy back in. And if you're not taking vacations and you're not relaxing and you're getting like, it's going, your reservoir is going down, 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 mm -hmm. down, down, down. And then many people are just living on fumes. You know, they're constantly running on fumes and it really feels like that because they're just have enough energy just to get to the next gas station. And then I'm going to put in a few more drops and I'm going to just have enough to get to the next gas station. So that's like people, they wake up, they didn't sleep well, they're exhausted, but I have to go to work. So I'm going to drink a lot of coffee because that's what keeps me going. It's that artificial energy to keep you going. And then, you know, day after day of that, and then you get to, you're running on fumes, your body, your physical body, then your energy body is depleted. So your physical body then is going to start having disease and breaking down. And the energy is not there to circulate through the body because you just, your gas tank is empty. So, so it feels, and that's where people, it's just, I'm tired all the time. So I just have to drink a lot of coffee. So did I answer your question or did I get off on another tangent? No, well, it answered my question. It answered many others as well. So that's oh, fantastic. Good. Now like we, we're, we're getting close to the end of the seminar. I noticed when I was reading through all the things you've done, you're a medical physician, entrepreneur, medicine researcher, and, and former submarine designer. And I thought to myself, well, there's not much light down in the bottom of the ocean. And I thought it was rather unusual. So I thought I'd bring this up just, just before okay. we close up. Now, this was this, um, well, okay, how, how, I mean, I've got to ask the question, how did you get into uh, designing submarines? Okay, first of all, I'm going to tell you a little secret that when you're designing submarines, you're not actually down in the submarine underwater. Okay, designing, I want, I want, I want like, to a soul. You can tell me. And, yeah, <laughs> not really. You're not actually in the submarine. So I'm, I'm you know, in an office with terrible fluorescent lighting, by the way. Um, I worked for Lockheed. I worked for Lockheed Marine Systems Division in California, and it was all I was working on um, things like the DSRV, deep submergence rescue vehicles. Um, research submarines, um, things like diver heating suits for the Navy SEALs, um, and all submersible type stuff. So, um, yeah. And but it's all classified, I so I won't tell anybody. No, it's just, we'll just keep Well, it yeah, I mean, a lot of it is. And then some of the projects I was working on back then were very yeah. classified. But, um, um, but uh, yeah, and I had the opportunity when I first started working on them. It's like, here, you know, the DSRBs. Have you ever seen the movie Hunt for Red October? Yes, yes. That's, that features the deep submergence rescue vehicle, which are the small subs that are designed to be able to go down and rescue people from a distressed mm -hmm. sub. So if there's a submarine that stops working and it's stuck on mm -hmm. the bottom of the ocean, this mm -hmm. little sub will go down and you can rescue, I think it's nine or 12 people at a time. I can't remember exactly how many will fit in the, um, okay. the mids here. And, um, but anyway, so it's like, okay, well, you're an engineer, you're working on these um, DSRVs and, um, you get to go down, you get to do a dive. Oh, you, did, like, so you, you did go down. Okay, well, so I was going to ask no, you. I, I, I could have. Oh. Um, and I'm like, okay, well, let me go inside, you know, because I'm like, let's see what's it, what it's like. And having claustrophobia, it, these things are tiny. Oh, my God. And you go into the, the mid-sphere, which is supposed to fit, I think, 12 men. And I'm like, how do 12 men fit in this thing? It is so tiny. And then you go into the pilot thing, where you have to be a midget to be able to pilot one of these things because there's two pilots and it's so like it's like this and, and I'm like I'm in there and I'm like I can't breathe okay I, I, I don't need to go for a dive in the submarine. I'm 
like, that's enough. I've seen enough. So I can work on these perfectly well without ever going underwater in one. Cause I'm like, this will kill me. So yeah, I actually did not do a dive. So I had you, the, so if you had, I had a pot not regret not going for a dive. <laughs> so if you had had a part in the design of those little ones, you'd have made them a little bit bigger and more comfortable. And of course, proper life. Well, yeah, well. There's a reason for them being so small in the way that they're designed. So yeah, the pressures yeah. and surface areas and things. Exactly, and yeah. 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 So, no, I wouldn't, yeah, I'd maybe come up with new technology altogether where you could make it more spacious and luxurious and have like mm. a spa in there at the same time. <laughs> I, I guess those, um, those eight to 12 men would have to be, have to get along reasonably well to. <laughs> well, you're not actually in those very long because you're just basically going from the bottom of the ocean up and then they okay. get deep compressed. So it's like there's, they, they, they're doing it. They're like going up and down, Understand. up and down. Understand. You're not hanging out in the DSRV that long. It's basically just to save your life um, and to get you off of the sub. Because, but you know, the one time that there was a Russian sub that was distressed and and the DSRVs are for anybody on the planet to use. Like if mm. there's a distressed sub from any country, they're available okay. for anybody to use. There's mm. two of them. Mm. Um, and uh, the Russians were like, well, you know, we've got this giant sub and it's like not working. It's stuck at the bottom of the ocean and we've got this giant crew. And thanks for the offer to come and rescue them. But we'd rather that you not come and see our technology. So we're just, thanks, but we're just, we'd rather just let all our crew die. So they did. So they all died instead of allowing them to be rescued. Gosh, that sounds like a board decision of a, of a company where, they, where morals and ethics don't, even have a peek in through the window. They well, yeah, and this is a government decision, obviously. The oh, military is like, okay, we don't want you knowing our, our top secret technology and our you know nuclear subs, so we're not going to. And of course, the people that do the, the people doing the rescuing, they wouldn't give an iota about the um, the technology. They want to get the lives, the souls out and above above water. Well, you would it's think, so, yeah, but who knows? I mean, they're probably you know, it's like. But yeah, the, the more important thing for them was we don't want we don't want our technology to be shared with Gosh. the Americans. So um, yeah, so that's how yeah some decisions are made like that. So okay. anyway, on well, that happy note, ask me something happier now. <laughs> the, the painting behind you is beautiful. I was just going to um, it's come to the end of the summer, but I really wanted to say that during the course of the discussion. I was looking at your painting and uh, I felt calm, a calmness. And so, and it's a color, I guess, going to my retina and it's sort of, mm -hmm. you know, and, and that's great. And you've, you showed me just before the summer another painting just to one side, which is of a similar theme. Yes, you can see a better, better version of it. I mean, the front on, um, because it's not really illuminated right now, but yeah, that's very glowing. Yes. Um, um, so yeah, you're, people, you're a very creative person and, um, yeah. When I'm not designing submarines, yes. When you're, when you're not designing submarines. <gasps> thank oh, you okay. so much for your time. Can you please tell, oh, you, can you tell the viewers um, any website that you have that you'd like them to visit to learn oh. more about colour therapy? Yes. Um, analytic. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> this is analytic. off the cuff. It's unprepared. Okay. C-A-T-A-L-Y-T-I-C-C-O-L-O-R.com. And people can learn more about, like, all I've got all kinds of videos on there since I have been teaching about this a long time. You can see, I just want to show you. So this is what my light looks like. You can see it. 
um, the Rejuvenator. Um, so yes. it's like a 150 square inches. So it covers yes. a very large surface area. Um, yes. But people can learn more about all of that um, applications, things like that. But also watch lots of free videos about that are like, I only launched this just over a year ago. So I've, I was teaching about light therapy, the science of light therapy for a decade before I ever had a product. And I, the selling a product only came out of necessity as more and more people were jumping on the light therapy bandwagon and creating products that are not only not very beneficial for people, but now starting to harm people. So I kind mm -hmm. of, I, I went against my decision where I said, blanket, I'm not going to manufacture or sell a device for 10 years. I literally, I'm like, everybody's like, you need to make your own light therapy product. I'm like, I don't want to manufacture and sell a device. I just want to teach people. I love teaching. I love sharing this information. Somebody, I'll design something and somebody else can manufacture it. But anyway, so that that's what ended up happening. So I did launch just over a year ago and within six months, had thousands of people around the world using it just from word of mouth, all from customers just raving about the benefits. So, um, yeah, so, but again, so I've got a ton of information on my website all about light therapy, about circadian rhythm and um, things like that, articles that I've written, videos, and um, yeah, and people can go to my YouTube channel, sign up. I'm going to be uploading a bunch of content in the near future because I've done so many interviews and podcasts and summit interviews in the last six months, and I'm going to be adding those to my YouTube channel in the very near future now that I'm going Wonderful. Do you, do you have any free time? It's, it's I, yes, I actually, I, because I get into flow with everything that I'm doing. So I'm like in super efficiency mode when I'm working on something. I'm like super efficient. I, I sleep great at night because I use this. It makes me sleep like a baby. I mean, tons of people use it as their favorite sleep hack. But um, yes. um, yeah, so I sleep. I, I, I wake up. I'm wide awake. I hit the ground running. I'm like, I can work for hours. I actually have to make myself get off the computer at 10 o'clock because I could keep working for hours and hours and hours even with mm. the blue light blocker on there but mm. um yeah i just have this kind of limitless source of energy and i'm speaking next month i do a lot of medical center um and conferences where i get invited to speak at major medical centers uh, big medical conferences like the one i'm speaking at in vegas next month um that's all on new technologies uh for in the medical applying new technologies in the medical realm i'm nominated for an award my it's exciting oh, good luck good luck Thank you. Um, yeah. So yeah, but I, it's like when you love what you're doing, you just have like this limitless sort because you're kind of tapped in. It's like the, you know, Michelangelo finger to Adam to, you know, coming to life or whatever. <laughs> so, yeah. so I just have all this energy. People are like, you must drink a lot of coffee. I'm like, oh my God, no, I can't. I love the taste of coffee. I can yeah. Have a cup of coffee a day. Otherwise I'd be like, oh. yeah. So, but yeah, I have lots of, yeah, I, I relax. And when I, I, I go and give a talk, then I always take a handful of days off and I just go and spend time in nature and hiking and camping and stuff like that. I love it. Wonderful. Thank you so much for coming on to our program, Leanne. Thank you, John. So Thank good you so to much. have you. Okay. And, Thank uh, you. And I love your spinning world behind you there too. Yeah, well, maybe like if you spun your painting, you could have a similar effect. I know. Her. Well, I feel like, yeah, I've got world envy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, well, it doesn't show every single continent. That's the only problem I have with the globe, you know, spinning around the globe. It's, it's got, I've never seen New Zealand and that's where I'm from. That's my hometown. Well, it's probably because it's on, it's not, you're, you're spinning this way. It's not like it's going all directions, right? So you're just catching the top of it, but probably my, my, where I'm from in Northern Ontario, Canada, probably comes around. I haven't really been paying that close attention to <laughs> <laughs> but it's probably been there. It's like, hi, hi. Looks like, looks like there's a storm there or there, there. Yeah. 
is this a real-time world map thing or is this just some video i'd like to boast and say yes but i'll be lying it's a uh, it's a it's a really cool. i know like, well, well i could i could do a leanne and say yes it is <laughs> yeah, exactly. yes. Yes. Tiger there somewhere. Yeah. bring in the saber-toothed tiger <laughs> Yeah, the pterodactyl or whatever. Yeah, you could say, yes, it's a real-time image of the planet and it's taken from the satellite, blah, blah, blah. Thanks for your When I give my lectures, I don't make up stuff. <laughs> the saber tooth tiger part. I do like that. I mean, it gives, it's a great image. Come on. It, it I mean, is great. It is great. And, and, the, little guy, the, little, the little caveman is a little loin yes, yes. Like, ah! <laughs> and who, who, who hasn't seen the Flintstones? And they've got so so with their tigers. So there you go, exactly. So yeah, creative license. Well, so I can paint. I can make stuff up with you know dinosaurs and yeah, and yeah. design submarines. Well, it's a way of explaining to people, you know, and putting a point right. across. It doesn't have to be literal. No, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I use I do use a lot of metaphor also. So yes. yeah, literally, yeah, pulling from different things. Okay. Well, anyway, on that happy note. Thank you very much. Hey, thanks, Leanne, for all your time. It's really appreciated. I know it's you know, getting into the evening for you, or it is late evening now. So thank you so much. You've done well. You've done well. Thank, thank you, you so much. You thank too. you. Thanks, John. Okay. Bye -bye. Have a great have a great day where you are. <laughs> you too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.